If you've got your Bibles, open them up to 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse uh, 16 and verse 18. Paul instructs us, as Zane read a few moments ago, to give thanks in all circumstances. All circumstances. That's a challenge for me. We just left Lubbock on December the 26th to celebrate Christmas with our, uh, our kids. It's the in-laws year, and so they're, they're celebrating that on the um, 25th. We got them on the 26th, and that's going to happen every other year, so we're kind of looking forward to how that's going to work out because that means we get to be at Tabitha's house in Lubbock, Texas. Just so works out. She lives there. That's also where our other daughter's in-laws live, and so it all fits really, really well. We were trying to figure out about what time arrival was going to be, and so we were expecting a call from uh, Tabitha's phone. They were in El Paso making their way back to Lubbock. Heard Tabitha's ringtone, and I was anticipating about when that time would be. Not about the fact that there might not have been an arrival, because they'd been in a car accident. You can always tell when something's wrong when you hear a mother go, (gasps) they can do that better than any other human being in the world. And it almost always means something awful. Now it was. A very innocent and honest driver from out of state was searching on her phone from directions at an intersection when she shouldn't have been. And she ran a red light and nailed our kids in the passenger side back rear tire wheel. They were calling because they were stopping at a mechanics to see if um, it was drivable. We were thankful that they weren't calling from a hospital because someone was hurt. Everybody walked away. Uh, Everybody actually drove away from that particular accident. But Tabitha was in tears. Um, She was sick about her two-day new Subaru Forester that she was driving. Bummed about the car, grateful that everybody was okay, but she was just sick, just two days old. Giving thanks in some circumstances is a challenge. That's one of the more minor ones, especially when you compare it to the Rogers family. If you've been following the information that we've been trying to provide in the KCC notes for the last couple of weeks, Joe Dan, Tiffany's dad, fell off a ladder putting up Christmas lights. Another reason I will never put up Christmas lights, no. (laughs) But he did. And it wasn't a laughing matter because he fell and had a major head injury and has been in ICU in the Covenant Hospital in Lubbock for the last couple of weeks. Quite Quite a bit of that in a coma. They are grateful that he is alive. They're grateful that he's now responsive. He's breathing on his own now. But the results of the fall have been tremendous, severe brain trauma, a lack of movement on one side, almost all the holidays spent in an ICU waiting room has left the entire family challenged to find something to be thankful for. Although, when we walked into that ICU room on Friday morning, gratefulness just filled the air. So amazing. Gratefulness, I'm telling you, just filled the air. Gratefulness for nurses who had gone out of their way um, to love on their family and 
wonderfully so. My son-in-law is a nurse on that floor and had a chance to actually wait on Joe Dan himself. It's part of the reason why we were able to get in so quickly. Grateful for strangers down in the um, cafeteria who heard what was going on and wanted to come up and were welcome to come up and pray over Joe Dan. Uh, thankful for strangers who came by with their guitars and sang uh, for Joe Dan. So many blessings that were coming out of this incredibly traumatic moment, this tragic, tragic moment in this family's life. And Tiffany said, you know, the days have been filled both with weariness and with wonder. They were trying their best to be grateful. And that's a challenge some days. Amen? Okay. We're on the same page. But doesn't the air just change when you say thank you? Do me a favor. Close your eyes just for a second. Close your eyes. And on the count of three, I want you to say the words thank you in just a, a tone that's comfortable for you. Don't shout it. Just in a comfortable way, just say these words. Thank you. One, two, three. It just lifts your spirit a little bit. I don't know why, except for the fact that's the way God wired us. That something happens inside of us when we are grateful for what he has done in our lives. Up on the wall is the Greek word for giving thanks. Almost every time you see that in the New Testament, that's what you're going to see behind that. And at the basis of that word is the word grace. And the derivative of that word is also the word joy. Now you put those together and, and Ann Voskamp writes this. The height of our joy is determined by the depths of how we give thanks for the grace in our lives. Love that. The heights of our joy is determined by the depths of how we give thanks for the grace in our lives. Connect joy the way we feel with the thankfulness we offer and something amazing happens. Now, I'm not talking about the happy, clappy kind of joy. I'm talking about the joy we, we looked at two weeks ago, that, that smile of the soul, that assurant smile of the soul that says God is good and his plan for us is good, and that's never going to change. And amazingly, we affirm that just by saying, thank you. Doing so moves us from the left out to the pulled in, Thank you says, I am not victimized. Thank you says, I am not forgotten. Thank you says, I'm not neglected. I'm not handicapped. I'm not overlooked. And maybe that's why in Scripture, Thanksgiving is not just a good idea. It's not just a suggestion. It's not just a popular response. Notice in Scripture, Thanksgiving is a command. In Colossians chapter 3 and verse 17, the Scripture says, And whatever you do, <laughs> doesn't leave anything out, Whatever you do, in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and giving thanks to God the Father through him. That covers everything. Whatever you're doing, whatever you're saying, whatever you're thinking, have this heart filled with thanksgiving. Over a hundred times, either by example or by imperative, we're told, give thanks. So, if quantity implies gravity, then God takes thanksgiving seriously, doesn't he? And here's why. You could argue that ingratitude was the first sin, the original sin. Think about it. Adam and Eve had a million reasons to be grateful. Sunsets, 
waterfalls, pristine lakes, smog-free air, bananas for making banana pudding. God found the earth so delightful, he strolled in it every single day. Adam and Eve found the garden so secure and so safe, they didn't bother to wear clothes. They didn't bother to worry about thieves because they had nothing to hide and no one to hide from. It was an absolutely beautiful, safe place. It was a perfect world. And in it, the first man and the first woman were one with God, one with creation, one with one another. It was a wonderful place. And then came the snake. Then came the deceiver. Then came earth's first thief. He didn't have to raise a gun to threaten. All he had to do was raise a question. Did God say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? He asked. He's replying, we can eat of all the trees in the garden. But God did say you must not eat from the tree in the middle of the garden. Isn't that interesting? Satan raises a question about one stinking tree. The one tree they were told not to touch, that there would be consequences if they did touch it and eat from it. Ah, but eat of this tree and you'll be like God, Satan promised. And before you could say, really? Eden wasn't enough anymore. Before the question, Eden was enough. Adam and Eve had absolutely everything they would need. God said to them, look, I've given you every seed-bearing plant throughout the earth, all the fruit trees for your food. How many fruit trees? All of them. All but one. Just one. Ah, but you could have more, Satan said. And with that, Satan injected a very deadly virus into the world. The virus of ingratitude. For the very first time, Adam and Eve both felt that flush that comes when you, when you feel like you're doing without. When you feel like it's, it's not enough. When you feel discontented. Eden wasn't enough anymore. God wasn't enough anymore. They were missing out. God was holding out. And rather than focus on all the fruit that they had, they decided to focus on the fruit that God forbade. And the joy thief of the soul moved in. One word again. Ingratitude. And we can only wonder, what if gratitude had won the day? What if Adam had even said, look at all we've got. Are you kidding me? Shut up, Satan. Look at all that we have. We don't, we don't just have a tree. We've got groves of mangoes. We've got groves of peaches. We've got a strawberry patch. Did I mention bananas for banana pudding? And Satan wanted them to focus on one fruit that they were warned to stay away from. And the good it promised instead of the ones they could see, the one that they were enjoying and what they were experiencing. Not the promise of good, but the reality of good. Well, we don't have to wonder what happened. We can't wonder what happened because they decided to choose what I don't have over what I do. Here's a question for the day. What could your life be if you made gratitude your default attitude? What could your life be if you made 
gratitude your default attitude? Would your world be any different? Can I testify for just a little bit? Mine has been. Wasn't doing so good a couple of months back. It really isn't hard for me to feel joy. Gail says, I have more. What's the thing I got working inside? Endorphins? Serotonin. Whatever it is, I got it. Lots of it. Well, a couple of months back, it didn't matter how much I had. The things that I saw in my life made me feel like I was doing without in some areas. I wasn't getting my fair share. And it was just sucking the joy out of my life. And so I did something that you and I did together as a church two years ago when we did the thousand gifts. Uh, But this time, instead of doing ten a day, I started doing five a day. Just started writing down the things that I was grateful for. The things that I had. A full class for Financial Peace University. That was a joy, wasn't it, Scott? A ten-second kiss for marital bliss. Still love those. Turkeys gobbling at daylight. A clean office. Friendships that heal. I don't know about you, but I have friendships sometimes that get... In some rough places. I think probably the truest of friendships have some times when they have to heal. Well, that's one of my favorite things is when they do. My mind was constantly full of what was going wrong in my life. Of what was absent from my life. And I needed a change of focus. And so I just got my journal back out again. And I started doing that simple exercise of being grateful for what I had. But I got to tell you, Satan was right there hissing. (laughs) Don't you want more square feet? Don't you want more bells and whistles, more gigabytes, more horsepower, more testosterone? Maybe for some of you ladies, more curves, more hair, more whatever. He's always hissing more. Come on. More can be such a poisonous threat, can it? It can be to my joy. The antidote for the toxin of more I'm finding is just being grateful. Deciding to be grateful for what you have. Developing that attitude of gratitude. Rather than focusing on what's been absent in my life, what if I focus on what's present? What if I decided that I have everything I need for joy? Everything. I wonder if for someone maybe today that God brought into this place to hear this, maybe despair would be replaced with delight if you would do that too. God thinks so. I think that's why multiple times he says things like Psalm 69 and verse 30. Praise the name of the God with song. Magnify him with thanksgiving. 1 Chronicles 16 and verse 8. Give thanks to the Lord. Call upon his name. Make known his deeds among the peoples. Don't just keep it to yourself. Tell people about it. Brother, gratefulness is a daily dialysis of the soul. It flushes out self-pity. It flushes out self-reliance. Church, I'm wondering if in 2019, if we had a community-wide goal, could it be that we would just decide we're going to be grateful for what we have over what we don't? It's not that big a, a big a deal, or is it? Maybe it's one of the biggest deals. What do you say we declare 2019, the year that we... We waged war on dourness and sourness. Some of you need to get in on this, trust me. All right? 
Let's take aim at being fully obedient to 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 18 and 19. Give thanks in everything. Not easy. Not in this world. In tough times, let's give thanks. In prosperous times, let's give thanks. In hospital rooms, let's give thanks. In debt, let's give thanks. In traffic, let's give thanks. In the midst of our children's laughter, let's give thanks. In the midst of interruptions, let's give thanks. And we looked at those a couple of weeks ago. Jesus experienced interruptions and how frustrating they can be. He had planned to retreat with the disciples. And 5,000 plus people follow him. And so, he took them out to lunch. He told the people to sit down on the grass. And he took the five loaves and the two fish. And looking towards heaven, he said, thank you, God. Thank you. He was perpetually doing that. Thanking God for the children that he wanted to be blessed, to bless. Thanking God for the blind who wanted to be blessed. Thanking God for Mary who poured perfume over his feet. So much of the time, our Lord walked this earth. Sometimes a man of sorrows, Hebrew writer says. But even grateful for those. You and I can be too. Saying thank you to God for every event that he's working, every circumstance he's working for our ultimate good and for his ultimate glory. We can do that. God wouldn't ask us to do something we couldn't. It's amazing since I decided to restart my thankful list how much joy has been a part of my days. But this time around, I'm I'm including more than just things that kind of make me smile. I'm trying my best to write down things that that I'm not so happy about. So yes, I've got things like uh, I'm grateful, Father, for huevos rancheros and 40-foot birdie putts made and teenagers who say yes to Christ and scriptures from my Bible buddies on Sunday. I'm also adding to that list, thank you, Father, for the privilege of praying for a couple to have their womb healed so they can have a child this time around. Thank you, Father, for the privilege of praying with a marriage that's fallen apart. For being welcomed into that difficulty. Thank you, Father, for the privilege of praying for cancer, that heinous thief of our day. And interestingly enough, I'm even finding joy there. Joy comes in the midst of great difficulty, Jesus promised. Because in this world you will have many troubles. But take heart. I think this is where gratefulness comes in. How do you do that? I take heart. I, I choose how I'm going to have that live in my heart. Knowing he's overcome this. And knowing that with him I can too. It always amazes me when I see people who are living in the most miserable of circumstances. And finding the most wonder in life. A little girl by the name of Rebecca Taylor fits that bill. A couple of years ago, in Max Lucado's series on um, prayer, the best 10 minutes, <laughs> he talks about her. He said, according to doctors on a scale from 1 to 10, Rebecca experiences a level of pain that would probably be characterized as 12. On a scale from 1 to 10, Rebecca Taylor experiences every day level 12 pain. That's a pretty tough challenge for a 10-year-old, he writes. But she's a pretty tough kid. 
She has fudge brown hair and eyes that sparkle and a weatherproof smile. And she has her very own book of miracles. She showed it to me in her hospital room. She said, I walked into her room one morning. She had all these handmade posters on the wall, a covey of stuffed animals next to her on the bed. Somebody had delivered her a cookie bouquet. I was looking intently at the cookie bouquet, he said. And then Rebecca said, Mom, will you show Max my miracle book? I said, I picked it up off the little table next to her bed. It was a simple notebook, edges weathered. On the cover were crayons, stars, and clowns. And then you began to read the miracles that were in Rebecca's handwriting. And you couldn't help but smile. Miracle number 27, I slept all night last night. Miracle number 141, Daddy snuck a puppy into the hospital today. Miracle number 229, Mommy placed a Christmas tree in the corner this morning. Wow. A girl living, a girl living, a girl living in perpetual pain. When I have sometimes living without it. What a challenge to me. And to us, I think most of us, she would be a model of gratitude, but she's just decided to be grateful. Whether she's a model to anybody or not. Can't we? Can't we just decide to do that? Can't we be grateful for water, clean, safe water? Water faucets, water hoses, car washes that we even wash our car in. We're so blessed. Nothing, nothing like what we have exists in the world when it comes to just something simple as water. Nothing can clear the air like gratitude. And nothing can pollute it as quickly as ingratitude. Grumbling, the Bible talks about. God has a lot to say about grumbling. Have you read it lately? The Israelites were just released from Egyptian captivity when the nation of Israel made an art form out of belly aching. They began to grumble against God and Moses. Why have you brought us out of Egypt into the wilderness to die? We hate this horrible manna. Amazing. When this statement occurs, it, it happens only one month after the nation of Israel lived under such oppression that on a whim a king could say, uh, when you're delivering those Israelite babies, make sure they don't live. When on a whim they could just say, you know, let them make bricks without straw. That statement was made with whip marks still on their backs. That statement was made with calluses on their hands of building temples and these pyramids for dead kings that they would never, ever meet. God had been providing miracle upon miracle to, to, to get Pharaoh to say, all right, get out of here. Just leave. And when they finally did left and he realized what he had lost, He's back on their trail again, and God's final encore for all of that moment there in Egypt. He opens up a sea. The Israelites move through. The Egyptians try it, and the water comes back, and they're dead. And for a moment, 
Israel is, this is our God, just like we did. Great is our God. There's none like him for a moment. And a month later, they're so upset with him because of what they're eating. Can you just take us back? Really? Back to the oppression, back to the slavery, back to the just never-ending cycle of work and sleep and eat and work and sleep and eat. How do you feed millions of people in the wilderness headed to a land of promise? I don't know. But God does. The most effective way is as he drops food from heaven so that they could eat. And how do they respond? They grumbled. Take us back. And God responds, interestingly enough, by sending snakes into their camp. Kind of shadowy remembrances of what took place in the garden, right? Sends the snakes back into the camp. And they bite them and they die. Because ingratitude comes from the devil and ingratitude will kill you. You can't miss that message. So the people cry out, We have sinned by speaking against the Lord and against you, Moses. Pray that the Lord will take away the snakes. And so Moses prayed for the people. And then the Lord told him, make a replica of poisonous, a poisonous snake and you attach that to a pole and all who are bitten will live if they simply look at it. And so Moses made a snake out of the bronze and attached it to a pole and then anyone who was bitten by that snake could look to that snake and be healed. Don't miss this, friend. The cure for grumbling, both for God's ancient people and present people, the cure for the death that comes from grumbling is one thing. Look up. Look up. <laughs> Satan is forever trying to pull our gaze down, isn't he? To get our, our heads down and our hearts down. Look up and see this devil that has been freeze-framed and blonde, bronze, stuck on a pole and defeated at a cross. A millennia later, Jesus is going to remember that object lesson back in the desert in John chapter 3 and verse 13 and say, And just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Why? Because anyone who looks to him, anyone who keeps looking at him, not just once, not just saying a prayer or getting dunked back here in the baptistry, but I mean looking, fixing their eyes on him, will be saved, will live a life like no other. And those who don't keep looking, won't. We Christians, just like the Hebrews, can bellyache with the best of them, can't we? We can groan, we can grumble, we can gripe, but Jesus gives the same saving command. Come on, look up. Look up. Have you noticed who's the real victor in the people's lives around you? Is it really those people who have collected a lot of things or who are grateful for what they have? A missionary from Tobago reminded me which matters most, and I'll close with this. Jack Hinton tells about leading worship at a colony of lepers when he asked the group that had gathered for worship if they had any song requests. He said, the lady from behind me said, I have one. And he turned and he saw what he described as the most hideous face he'd ever seen. 
The lady had no nose, she had no ears, she had no lips. And she raised a fingerless hand and said, Could we please sing, Count Your Many Blessings? A friend of his said, You'll never sing that song again, will you? He said, Oh, yes, I will. I'll just never sing it the same way again. I don't think I will either after hearing that. We can do this. Especially with the Holy Spirit living inside. We can give thanks in all circumstances. We can do that. Please don't tell me you can't. Tell me you won't, but don't tell me you can't. Because God says you can. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Father in heaven, we come to you this morning as we wrap up this last lesson of 2018 for this church family anyway. And as we look into 2019, help us through the power of the Spirit to look with hope. Help us to look with eyes that are fixed on you. Not on all that's going wrong, not all that's, that's, that, that isn't happening the way that we would think or hoped or planned that it would happen. In our bodies, in our families, in our church, in our offices, on our teams. God, please help us be the fresh air of gratitude that fills the room when we walk in. Help us be that fresh air of thankfulness no matter what. And we're going to need your help on this. We, we come confessing. We're, we're not good at this. It's work for us to count our many blessings. Even being among the most blessed people materially in the world. Thank you, Father. For still nudging us and pushing us towards what will truly give us life. You. May we fix our eyes on you this year. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said. We've got some great things in store for you the rest of the morning. We've got some elders who are going to read scriptures over you and pray over you. We've got a communion that we're going to come back and share in just a few moments. But uh, right now, we're going to invite anyone who has a need to come and to share that need with us as we stand and as we give God praise.